Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Verses 1 to 8. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is God's word. I want you to think back for a moment. Think back to when you were a kid. I realize some of you that requires more thinking than others. And I want you to think back. I want you to think back to that rule. Okay. (laughs) I want you to think back to that rule that your parents had or your caregivers had that you could not stand. You know the rule I'm talking about. It came to mind instantly. It was that thing that you just said, but mom. But dad, I'm 12 years old. It's 1992. Come on, nobody believes that anymore. It's that rule that you went to them and said, mom, nobody in my class, I'm pretty sure nobody in my school, not even the kindergartens have to follow this rule. Mom, nobody even at church has to follow this rule. I don't know anybody else, even the, and then you insert that family, the one that had all the strict rules. You're like, they don't even have a policy or a rule like this, okay? Think about that rule that just drove you crazy, whatever it was. I want you to think about it. Okay, turn to the person next to you and tell them this is the rule that drove me crazy growing up. Go ahead. All right, how was that? Was that a little painful? Was that a little like, oh, why are we bringing this up again? It's been 20 years. So it still kind of grabs you, right? Okay, now I want you to think, I want you to think, I want you to think about that moment of freedom. You define the moment of freedom however you want, okay? Maybe it was you were 13 years old, you went to your first sleepover, and you didn't have to go to bed at their time, okay? Or some of you are like, no, I wasn't allowed to go to sleepovers, so I didn't get that moment of freedom. Okay, whatever it is, okay? Or that moment of freedom when you turned 18, and you were no longer, because they said once you're 18, you can do what you want. It was like 4 a.m. on your 18th birthday, and you were getting a tattoo. You regret it now, but you did it because it was like, it was against the rules, and really rules are meant to be broken, so you broke them, right? It was maybe you got married, you moved out, you went to college, curfew didn't apply, you know, your friend had cable and they had that channel that you weren't allowed to watch, whatever it was, that moment of freedom, you just thought to yourself, either for a moment or either for the rest of your life, depending on the stage, and you just thought, this is so awesome, the rules no longer apply. Wasn't that an amazing feeling? Do you remember that day? Some of you are like, I'm 40, I don't know if that day has come yet. But you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's just like it's that moment where you're like, this is so great, I'm so free, I'm no longer, no matter how good your parents were, there was that feeling that there's something that you want to be free from, and you just thought to yourself, I'm now no longer under their influence. 
I can finally make the rules myself. In fact, you tell your kids, you're like, hey, you think I'm strict? You should have seen what grandma and grandpa used to hold me to, and you should be glad. I don't even care. You could do that all you want. In fact, please do. It'll make me feel like a great parent, right? Like, you've had that moment where you're just like, this is so great. I'm no longer under the influence, and you were free. But isn't it true, if you think about it, you got a little bit older, you passed, you know, that stage, and you kind of realized you weren't as free as you thought. Maybe it was that moment, for me it was that moment, you know, you're just kind of, you're chatting and you say something and then kind of think to yourself, that, that kind of sounds like my mom. <laughs> or that sounds like my dad. Or maybe, maybe in this I also experienced, you know, your spouse points it out, you know, or a good friend. They're like, hey, you know what you just said to your kids? Like, yes, yeah, like, isn't that what you used to hate when your parents used to say that to you? And you're just like, get out of here, right? <laughs> like, just that, that painful moment where you realize that even though you're no longer under their influence, there's something about your childhood that has been influenced, and even though it's 20 years later, you're still influenced by it. Or maybe it's, you know, it's, it's that thing at the core of your being that just realizes that, you know, they don't pay your cell phone bill anymore, and they don't make your sandwich anymore, but there's something about family that strikes a chord at the core of your being, that when you go back at Thanksgiving, and you go back at Christmas, there's a part of you that just, it's raw, and it's like it just gets ripped up again. Like you get back in the car, there's nobody in the car, and you're shouting at the top of your lungs. You're just so angry. You're having these imaginary conversations with all the people in your family because there's something about the families that raised us that no matter how far we distance ourselves relationally or even ge geographically, there's something about the families and the cultures that raised us that stays with us for a long time. I've talked to people who said, you know, the entire trajectory of my life seems to have been shaped by the people that raised me. Some people say, you know, it's like if I hadn't had the family that I had, I'm not sure I would have taken this job. I'm not sure I would have stayed in school. I'm not sure I would have dropped out of school. I'm not sure I would have married him. I'm not sure I would have married so soon. I'm not sure I would have married so late. I'm not sure I would have had kids. I'm not sure I would have had this many kids. I'm not sure I would have had more kids. Like we have these times where we just pause and realize that no matter how old we are, we have been influenced drastically by the families and the cultures that raised us. This isn't just a new phenomenon. This isn't just something that we're discovering. I mean, social scientists have been talking about this for a long time. I mean, there's an entire category in, in that realm called family of origin study and family of origin therapy. You can actually go to someone and pay a couple hundred dollars an hour to chat about, you know, here's the family that raised me and here are all the things going on. And they'll just, they'll just happily take your money and talk about your family of origin. And people will pay it because it does affect us for better or for worse, whether it's actually creeping in and you're starting to see the same trends and the same ideologies creeping into your life, or you're seeing the opposite. You know, you vowed you would never be like them, or, you know, there were some amazing things in your family, but there were also, th also some things that you just thought, I'm never bringing that into my marriage, I'm never bringing that into my friendships, I'm never bringing it in, and the reality is, is you didn't. You know, your family had this tragic divorce, you saw what divorce did, and so you vowed you'd never get divorced, and you know what? You've never been divorced, you've also never been in a committed relationship. Or, you know, you, you just said, you know, my family always exploded in anger. I don't want to be an angry family. And so, you know, you never got angry. Your kids have never heard you raise your voice. And yet there's this theme in your house where you're not actually allowed to express the emotions that you feel you went to the other end of the pendulum. The reality is whether we're duplicating the things we saw growing up or running away from them, that if we're honest, all of us, all of us, all of us in some way are influenced for better or for worse by the families that raised us. The reason why that's so fascinating is because when you open up the scriptures, it's something that's spoken about. From the Old Testament and the New, you find that theme over and over and over again. You know, scientists have been arguing, is it nature? Is it nurture? The scriptures don't tell us, but they tell us it's a reality of the universe that we live in. 
In fact, you open up the book of Genesis and it says our children revisit or they live with the consequences, the decisions of those that went before them three to four generations. That you just keep reading, you will continually find principles in scripture that say the blessings, the good, and also the curses and the bad and the sins of the father and mother get transferred from generation to generation. It's a reality. It's a reality we talk about, we know, we've experienced, and the scriptures say it's very, very clear. In fact, not only does it say it in principle, but it actually says it in narrative. You look at the Old Testament and you see story after story of family following trends that get passed down from generation to generation. Let me give you three quick examples. The Old Testament, you find a pattern of lying in each generation. If you know the stories, you know Abraham lied twice to his wife Sarah. Their son Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Jacob lied to almost everyone. And then 10 of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faking a funeral, and keeping a family secret over 10 years. Passed down generation to generation. Favoritism by at least one parent. Abraham favored Ishmael. So then Isaac favored Esau. And then Jacob favored Joseph and later Benjamin. That the, the sibling that was not the favorite then chose a favorite. They experienced this pain and then they duplicated it in the next generation. Brothers cut off in each generation. Isaac and Ishmael, Abraham's sons, were cut off from each other. Jacob fled his brother Esau and was completely cut off for years. Joseph was cut off from his ten brothers for over a decade. That the things that, we, that go on in our lives, whether they're taught to us or just modeled by actions, are things that stick with us. I love this author. His name's Pete Scazzaro. If you've been doing the day-by-day study, uh, it's been an incredible uh, journey of just going below the iceberg. And he has these 10 things. I'm just going to join you up here and just read these with you because they're just so powerful. He says, here are 10 areas where the families that we grow up in actually shape us. So I just want to walk through them and just tell me. They may not be your life story, but they may resonate with you. First of all, they taught you about money. They maybe had a financial meeting with you, or maybe they just taught you these things by osmosis. Money is the best source of security. The more you have, the more important that you are. Make lots of money to prove you made it. Money means power. Only high-paying jobs are respectable. They may never have actually said these things, but you know the way that they scoffed at people who didn't have those jobs. It sent that message, and this is the way that maybe you view money now. The next one, conflict. Avoid conflict at all costs. Don't get people mad at you. Loud, angry, constant fighting is normal. Never confront the people who hurt you. Next up, sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. Men can be promiscuous, but not women. Sexuality in marriage comes easily. Sex is a tool to be used to get what you want. Next. Families teach us about grief and loss. Maybe you learned, nobody said it, but you just experienced the sadness is a sign of weakness. So suck it up. Get rid of those tears. We don't show sadness in this family. You're not allowed to be depressed. Get over losses quickly and move on. Expressing anger. Anger is dangerous and bad. Or maybe you learn the opposite. Explode in anger to make a point. Sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. Maybe you learn some things about family. You owe your parents for all they've done. Or don't speak about your family's dirty laundry in public. In fact, what we're doing today probably seems like treason. Duty to family and culture comes before everything. Relationships. Don't trust people. They'll let you down. Maybe it was the opposite. Don't let, never, uh, nobody will ever hurt me again. 
Or maybe you learned because nobody in your family showed vulnerability that you should never show vulnerability. Attitudes towards different cultures. Only be close friends with people who are like you. Don't marry a person of another race. Certain cultures and races are not as good as mine. Success. Success is getting into the best schools, is making lots of money. It's getting married and having children. Nobody ever said that. But you know every Thanksgiving and every Christmas when you show up single or without kids, that that's the lesson that you've been learning your whole life. And the last one, feeling and emotions. You're not allowed to have certain feelings. Your feelings are not important. Or reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. So the reality is, is that probably more than one of those things resonated with you is things that you learned in your family. Whether it was just by watching the things that were going on, the things that were permitted, the things that were, ta- were punished, that we were all in school from the day that we were born in a culture and a family that was teaching us good things and bad things. And today I want to be very careful because when we talk about these things, the tendency is to think, why are we just talking about the bad things that are passed down? And I just want to be very upfront to the fact that there are some incredible blessings that families pass on. The scriptures are clear about that. I want to be clear about that. In fact, I wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for my parents who became followers of Jesus the year before I was born. I'm sure of that. And so the reality is, is while they have passed on blessings, today what I want to talk about is the, the difficulties that have been passed on, the hardships that have been passed on, because those are the things that we often don't talk about. But here's the reality is we're talking about being under the influence. Let me draw a little iceberg here. This could go very poorly. If this is our life, and this is what we see, the behaviors and actions, the reality is, is there's a whole bunch going on below the surface. The things that we learned growing up about sex, about relationships, about conflict, all of these things are going on below the surface that we learn in our cultures and our families. And this is the problem that happens in spirituality and Jesus. We put Jesus either up here, and we try and behavior manage our life away, okay? And that's when we just get frustrated with religion, right? It's like you have all these things that you grew up believing and learning and understanding about how the world works, and then you enter Jesus, and it's like you have to behavior manage the top 10%. And it's just this constant tension. It's this constant grind. This is where the question, I know what the Bible says, but, and what the but is, is but I got something below the surface that's going on that does not resonate with what Jesus said. So you're constantly living this tension. It's constant, this feeling of religion, like I got to follow the rules, even though everything in me is saying something different because everything in you was shaped by the family and the culture that you grew up in for better or for worse. So either we add Jesus up here and get frustrated or we allow Jesus in here, but we never acknowledge all of this. And so then what happens is we end up having what I call Frankenstein Christianity, okay? Because what happens is you take everything that you learned, good or bad, from your family and your culture, and you add Jesus into the mix without ever acknowledging these things, and you just naturally marry them together, okay? So you don't actually allow Jesus to transform these things. It's just taking apart from one and apart from another, and it's ugly, It's a disaster. I call it Frankenstein Christianity. It's like this, okay? You grew up in a family, and workaholism was the way to go, okay? Like, you earn, you work, you deserve your way into everything. And then you become a follower of Jesus. You just throw Jesus into the mix, and now all of a sudden, you don't rest. You simply ignore every single message on Sabbath. In fact, you probably came pronounce the word, and you highlight every single passage about working hard. You highlight the verses that say, if you don't work, you don't eat. And you skip over the stuff about rest and trusting God and believing that he is the one that holds the world together. And you just believe I'm still the one that holds it all together. I'm still the one that brings the food on the table and nothing else matters. 
whether we put him up here or we put him in here, if we don't ever acknowledge what's going on below the surface, the way that we have been shaped and transformed by family and culture, we will never allow the Holy Spirit of God to transform us. So that's why today it would not be genuine of us to go on a journey below the surface to discover what we are under the influence of unless we're willing to talk about family. Now I realize that brings up a lot of things, like I said earlier, you feel like you're, you know, it's treason on your family, right? It's like we don't even talk about family. I'm not allowed to mention these things, okay? Let me just, let me just highlight two things. Number one, for those of you who are here and you're like, I don't want to talk about family, not because I'm not allowed to, but because it's way too painful. When I talk about family, I can't help but get emotional. I can't help but cry. I just want to leave the room because it's stuff I just don't want to deal with right now. It's better to just leave it buried and undealt with. But that's exactly what it is. It's undealt with. And if when you do talk about it, it makes you emotional, and when you do talk about it, it's hard, that means it's lying below the surface, not dead, but very much buried alive and influencing you every single day, whether you realize it or not. So you need to, no matter how hard this journey is, get below the surface and figure out what those things are. And the second, second you know, uh, pushback on this idea is that often when we talk about the families that raised us and the cultures that raised us, we end up blaming, right? It's like, ah, oh, this is what my parents did, and my parents were so messed up, and my grandparents, and on and on and on. I just want to make this very clear. The purpose of this conversation today is not about blame, okay? And in fact, I, I can't imagine the things that your parents went through, and you may have different views, but can I just simply say this? That the things that you experienced growing up, okay, this is maybe not entirely true for everyone, but for a lot of us, this is the thing that maybe we need to hear. That the things you experienced growing up were not a reflection of your parents' love for you, but a reflection of what was passed down to them. And so today is not a, a, a conversation about blame and pointing fingers, and this is why it's messed up, and that's not why it's messed up. In fact, today we're going to take a 30,000-foot view and discover that Jesus says, actually, none of that really matters. Ultimately, it's something far, far bigger than the culture you grew up, the family you grew up in, the part of the world you grew up in, the situation, the one parent, the two parents, the complicated, it's complicated scenario that you were in, whatever it was, that it's so much bigger than that, and yet we need to come back family. So that's the journey that we're going on today. And if you could turn to the book of John chapter 3, we're going to go into the most famous passage of scripture ever. You either learned it in Sunday school or at a WWF match on a big poster, okay? John chapter 3, if you can go there and we're going to go through it together. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, okay? Pharisee was uh, a Jew. They were rule keepers. They were rule makers. In fact, if you've heard of the Ten Commandments, most people have, religious or not, uh, the, the Pharisees, they added bullet points to the Ten Commandments, okay? So if you thought your parents were strict, if you thought your Sunday school teacher was strict, you don't want to have a Pharisee because they had so many bullet points on the Ten Commandments. I'm not even joking. Historians have found over 600 laws that they added on top of the Ten Commandments to make sure you didn't break the Ten Commandments, okay? So it's like, so what do you do for a living? They're like, we make rules, we enforce rules, we keep rules. We're just, we're just good people. We just do good all day long. That's what they'd say, okay? So the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were constantly having disagreements with Jesus. They'd constantly come to him and they'd be like, hey, don't you know that the, the scriptures say? And he's like, I'm, I'm God, of, of course, right? Like, but they'd be like, and d- did you know that you broke this rule? And he's like, you guys just don't understand the rules themselves and the spirit behind them. Or they'd be like, oh, what about this rule? And he's like, you made that rule up. That's not even a real rule. Are you kidding me? Like Jesus was constantly, there was just this tension between the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and Jesus. And Jesus would get so frustrated sometimes, and he actually, 
you may want to hide this from your kids, but he actually name-called people, and he called them snakes. He called them vipers, and he said, you guys are ready for this? This is, I mean, say this one the next time you have a fight with your family. You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. That's what he called them, okay? Whitewashed tombs, like, what does that mean? It basically means tombs are death. They're dead. They're not alive. They're not living. And he said, but you've painted them up to make them look pretty. Basically, the summary of the Pharisees was Jesus was saying, you guys care all about making this look good and doesn't matter what's going on down here. That was a Pharisee. Everything was about looking good, doing good, doing all the right things while at the core of your being, not being transformed at all. And so Jesus was constantly having conflict with them and they're constantly arguing with him. They're constantly saying, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. And he's like, you guys are dead on the inside. I mean, you spent your whole life trying to get it right, but you know it's not right. So then, Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which is such a, a humble way to approach him. I don't know if anyone, any Pharisee ever approached him that, that nicely. We know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Okay, now I don't know about you. But the reason usually you go to someone at night, why? Because you don't want anyone to know. It's secret, right? Now, Someone who's been making fun of Jesus the whole time, and then he comes to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, really, honestly, like, it looks like, you know, maybe you are from God, because you've been doing some things that we can't exactly explain. If I was Jesus, and there's a reason I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus, I'd be like, come say that to my face tomorrow with all your homies around, bro. Like, come on. Are you really going to come at night when no one is around and tell me I was right? Tell them I was right when everyone's around, which, of course, that's why I'm not Jesus, and Jesus is so much more gracious and gentle. Jesus actually just changes the conversation completely. Doesn't even say, told you so. He simply says this, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. To which in that moment you're probably thinking like, who's talking about the kingdom of God and being born again? It's like Jesus just changes the subject entirely. It's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? The kingdom of God. And so you just need to understand that's what these religious leaders believed in, that their good works were going to get God to come and bring the kingdom, bring it with force to make them powerful, to you know, kill their enemies, take their enemies, take them away, whatever it was. But that's what they believed. All our good works are going to transform us, and then God will come and save us. He'll give us the kingdom here on earth. So Jesus goes to the core of what's going on in this guy's life because that's the cool thing about Jesus. He encounters you. You don't even need to open your mouth, and he knows exactly what's going on at the core of your being, and that's exactly where he goes. And he goes to the core of this religious leader who thinks that all he has to do is good works and keep trying to do good, keep trying to do good, keep trying to do good, and that's how he gets the kingdom. He says, you want the kingdom? you got to start again. There's nothing worth saving. you just got to start from scratch, which I don't know about you, but like, if I sit in the presence of a professional, you know, I go see a counselor or something, and, you know, I tell them my little story, and after they kind of see what's going on inside, they're like, there's really no hope. You just need to start all over. Really, if you could just, you know, just start fresh with life, maybe that would be good, but no anger management's going to solve this. No book's going to solve this. I'd be like, can I get a second opinion? Because this just isn't working for me. But Jesus just comes to this guy, and he's like, hey, everything that you've been doing your whole life, eh, you just got to start again. It's almost like if I was this religious leader, I'd be like, listen, 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 Jesus. I am a Pharisee. I'm one of the most elite religious people in this town. All I do is good. All I do is good all day long. It's like if life was a ladder, I'm on the top rung. And Jesus is like, let me flip it around for you, bro. You climbed the wrong ladder. You need to start again, okay? Now, at that point, I'd go back to making fun of Jesus, getting my homies and just making, you know, all these different things. And yet, there's something about what Jesus says even though it's from left field and it's off topic and everything that seems to draw him in. Because look what he says. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
I used to read this as a kid, and I used to think he was mocking Jesus, right? Like, Jesus, you want me to be reborn? You want me to just climb back up on in there? I don't think my mom's going to be very happy with that, right? Like, that, it, just, it just sounds like he's mocking him, but really what he was doing was it was this posture of, Jesus, I don't understand a word you're saying, but help me understand this because something about what you're saying is resonating with me. I get this feeling that he's like, you know what? My way of getting into the kingdom is not really working, and so whatever it is and whatever kind of strange analogy you're using, I want to understand it, so help me understand it. What do I need to do? Because what I got is not working. I love this posture, and we know this was his posture because chapters and chapters later in the book of John, we actually discover that Nicodemus became a passionate follower of Jesus. It was totally, totally his posture. Then we fast forward to verse 6 because then he, you know, repeats himself in a few different word pictures that I think, you know, did or didn't land. And so then he says this, he says this, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Nicodemus, your problem is not doing good. Your problem is not, you know, the culture you grew up in and all the things you were exposed to and now trying to make it all right. That's not your problem. Your problem is not the family that you grew up in. It's not the, you know, the nationality that you're from and all the flaws that they have because, you know, we have all that. That's not the problem. The problem is not ultimately with your parents. Your problem is a human problem. The problem is wherever you were born, you have this flesh problem. It's called sin. And sin always gives birth to sin. Flesh always gives birth to flesh. And there's no fixing that. There's no amount of rules and bullet points on the rules that you can add into your life that will somehow make it better, that will somehow transform you. Nicodemus, it's not the way it works because flesh just gives birth to flesh. And what you need to be is reborn because the spirit gives birth to spirit. That no amount of things fixed in your childhood, no amount of things growing up, besides an entire transformation and a rebirth with the Holy Spirit in your life, will ever fully transform you. And that is where you begin to experience the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't matter where you grew up, doesn't matter where you went to school, doesn't matter how many parents you had or didn't have or the culture you had, that ultimately flesh gives birth to flesh. And Nicodemus, you need to be reborn. Maybe the summary of everything that we're talking about is simply this. Let me read it for you. It's on the screen. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Our issue is not ultimately the family or culture that we grew up in, but the sinful human nature we are all born with. No amount of rules, religion, effort can transform us to the perfect people God created us to be. We need to be reborn. This happens and begins to happen when we invite the Holy Spirit in. Here's maybe the one-liner, the quick summary of everything we've learned. In order to be transformed, we must be reborn into the new family of God. In order to be transformed, we must be reborn. This is why as you go further through the scriptures into the letters and the epistles of the New Testament that continue to reflect back on the life of Jesus and the life-transforming message that he brought, you know, the, the words of new family, adopted into a new family, old becoming new, being renewed day by day, made new, all these, this kind of language is simply saying it's not just an addition, it's not just 2.0, it needs to be fully revamped, you need to enter an entire new family, you need to leave your sinful nature behind and enter the family of God, and that begins when you invite the Holy Spirit to come in and give birth to spirit in your life. The problem is, is that most of us, when we invite the Holy Spirit in, we never actually look back on the old family. 
We never look back at below the surface at how things were shaped and transformed. We never acknowledge what's there. We never break ties with what's there. And instead, we simply just let the two mix up. And this is why it's so incredibly important to talk about. This is not psychoanalytical babble where it's like you need to look at your family, you need to talk about what was going on in three and four generations back to the 1800s. Because it's, it's simply acknowledging here are the things that I believe. They were shaped by the culture that I grew up in. I don't blame that because whatever culture I grew up in, I would have had a sinful nature. It would express itself differently. And when I'm looking back, I'm just being honest about the way in which when I entered this family of Jesus, I viewed sex, money, conflict, emotions, anger, the way we communicate, the way we relate to one another. It's just about being honest and saying, I realize and acknowledge, here are all the things I brought into this family, and I'm inviting the Holy Spirit of God to begin transforming each one of these things because I'm no longer part of that family. I'm part of a new family, and the Spirit is giving birth to new life and transforming me little by little. The bottom line is simply this. Unless we allow the Spirit of God in, we will continue to live in our old family instead of our new. There's a quote. We're going to put it up on the screen. It was a bit earlier in my slides. Sorry, guys, but it simply is. I love Pete Scazzaro. He says, you know, for most of us, we have Jesus in our heart, but we have Grandpa in our bones, and we never made the shift. Let me give you a little story, illustrate this, and hopefully you won't forget it. Whenever a pastor tells you of a screw-up they did, you seem to always remember those stories. So a uh, couple, I would say a couple years ago, less than a year ago, which is really sad, but less than a year ago, had, had some car trouble and uh, needed a tow, and it wasn't even my car. It was the church van. Thankfully, the church van doesn't say church van on it, so, you know, uh, the story I'm about to tell you. Anyway, so, although I did tell him I was a pastor, so I don't know if that, anyway, so, let me, just, let me just tell my story. Uh, so had this, this needed a tow not far, called, got a quote from the dispatcher. They sent out another company to come, uh, give him the tow, chatting with the tow truck driver, all is well. I get to the place, they unload the thing, and then we go to pay, and the price has changed. It's $20 more than what was quoted, which isn't huge, and, and considering how much it all was, it wasn't a big deal, but I shared with you week one, I was honest, and I said, money in my family, we kind of we do this with money, right? So all of a sudden, it was just like, you know, something at the core of my being is being assaulted. And so I just kind of, you know, dug in a little bit. Another thing you need to know about my family is we're kind of, we're fighters, but the way we fight, because there's like silent treatment families, there's, you know, so the sin gets expressed different ways in different families, okay? We can have a discussion after about all the different ways our families fight. My family, we're like lawyers, minus all the education. We're just lawyers, okay? We don't care, no offense to lawyers, okay? But we don't care about what's true. We care about what can be proved, okay? That's just kind of how we roll. We get all the facts, and it's basically you win if you're loud and clear and you have the most logical points, okay? So that's just, that's just how we roll in my family. We just, you know, bam, 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 ha! That's, that's how fights went growing up. That's kind of the, the nature of how things go, okay? So you got the greed factor going on. You got the, the law factor going on. It's all about logic. And so this, this argument breaks out in the middle of a tow truck between pastor, tow truck driver, okay? In our small talk where things were going so well before the bill came, you're like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, it's great. A little church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did I tell him that, right? Because now it's like I got I to gotta, you know, win my case, and he could use that against me. So anyways, arguing, 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 interrupting each other, yelling, getting louder, 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 louder. And then he turns to me, and he says, you're not treating me like a human being. In the heat of the moment, I don't even know if I acknowledged it or I just railed right through it. In the end, I think we paid it and just kind of left. It was not, no bow on that relationship. 
I come home, my wife can tell. She's like, Mark's in one of his, you know, something happened. So I just tell her, and I'm just like, <sighs> and then I just, I tell her this part. I'm like, this is, this is sticking with me, but he said, I didn't treat him like a human being. And she's like, did you? And I'm like, what, what, what? And I start, you know, defending myself and all that. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So I call him up. Honestly, I expected him, the moment I said who it was, to just hang up on me. That's how not pretty things ended. I'm like, hey, it's, it's, it's Mark. I'm the guy you just gave a toe. And I'm like, okay, he's still on the line, right? Like, I'm like, you said something. You said I didn't treat you like a human being. And I just, I just wanted to apologize. That was not right of me. And I'm so sorry that I did that to you. He was so gracious. He said, hey, you apologize. We're good. Thanks so much. Have a great night. We hung up. Do you know how many times I've taught on loving your enemies, on being gracious, on leaning towards trust instead of suspicion? I'm a pastor. I teach this stuff all the time. I've memorized those passages of Scripture. I've seen the Holy Spirit of God transform areas of my life that I've been so stubborn about, and yet he continues to poke and poke and poke. And here's an area years after being a Christian, decades after being a Christian, and yet I still have yet to acknowledge it and allow God's Spirit to come and take over this area of my life. If we will not be honest about what we learned growing up from the people around us, the families around us, the cultures, the things that went on, that went all around us, we will not allow the Holy Spirit of God to transform the innermost, most core parts of our being. This is not anything psychoanalytical. This is not theory. This is just about being honest about what's going on in our hearts, what's going on at the core of our beings, and saying, God, here's how I think about it. Transform it. You say your spirit is in me. You say you're giving me a new mind. I'm allowing you to speak into these areas that I've never wanted you to speak into before. That's when transformation begins to happen in those areas where so often we are stuck. And our families know we're stuck in them. Our spouses know. Our friends, our colleagues at church, our people in our home groups know. And we just need to be honest about it. So this week is not the week to miss home group. Because this week, you're going to be doing an exercise. We just did it at Connection in your home groups where you're just going to map out your family. You're going to map out the trends, the things that were going on, the earthquake events that shaped and shifted things. Not to point blame, but simply to acknowledge this is the environment and these are the things I was learning, whether anyone was teaching me or not. And God, I'm inviting you to speak into these areas. It was mind-blowing. We did it in our home group this week, and I was blown away to see the themes. Like, you know, my mom never talked to their sibling. They hate each other. Now I hate my sibling. Never noticed that that was a trend. You know, in my family, it's all about favorites. This person picked a favorite. This person picked a favorite. I'm not the favorite. You could just see it. I didn't have any relatives growing up because we had a family blow up and we didn't talk to everyone. Now my kid doesn't have any extended family to talk to. It's amazing. It's amazing how these things, it's just a true principle. They continue to go on from generation to generation. And I don't want to be a type of parent who keeps passing these on from generation to generation, who simply gives birth to flesh, and it continues to manifest itself in different ways. I want to be part of a church. I want to be part of a family. I want to be part of a movement of people who acknowledge this is where we came from. There was some good. There was some bad. And Jesus, what do you have to say about it? Imagine what would happen if we had that kind of posture. Imagine the types of things that we could pass on to the next generation, to the people that we're raising up in youth group, in kids' ministry, in our families. We are now part of a new family. Unless We will not be transformed unless we are reborn.
I pray for you as the band comes up to sing in response. Heavenly Father, I love that name. That you really do invite us into a new family and you are the head of it. So Lord, would you make us people who simply come to this family wanting to know what it is like what are the things that we've missed even for decades as we've been technically part of this family and yet still living under the influence of our old family? May your spirit continue to give birth to new life in us. Wherever we are in our journey, no matter how long we've known you, we do not believe for a moment that there is anything that is outside of your realm of power to transform. We thank you for that. And we sing in response to it. In Jesus' name. Before you sit down, it's my pleasure to give you the benediction, and then Tony will come up with announcements. If it's your first time here, you don't know what a benediction is. Simply, it's a, an old word that means to speak uh, good or blessing over people, and today it's my privilege to do that. And I just uh, want to encourage you today with a passage that we've been kind of reminding you every single week since week one in this series, which is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's this image of God's plan for our life. He says, I pray that your life may be transformed. He doesn't just say you know, at the top, your behaviors. But he says, through and through, spirit, soul, and body. And Lori, I think, said something that resonates probably with most of us, which is, you don't know what's below the surface. And I don't know if it's ever going to change. And there's these four words that that passage ends with, and it's, he will do it. May that be your hope as you leave this place today.